Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour is no stranger to the X-Zone, or for that matter, anyone in Canada or around the world who has heard his name. I'm talking about Paul Kimball, and uh, Paul is joining me this hour from Halifax, Nova Scotia, where we're going to be discussing the uh, the contents of the book. And I'm, and I'm trying not to give her a free plug here, 
by Annie Jacobson, uh, entitled Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. But uh, I'm going to be talking to Paul, uh, the first part, about her claims that based on a a source that she doesn't want to identify for one reason or another, stated that what happened in Roswell, New Mexico, going back to 1947, was actually a Soviet spacecraft that was piloted by Soviet cosmonauts with the entire and expressed purpose of throwing the United States into a tizzy. Well, obviously that did happen for at least one or two days. And um, then she ties in, oh my gosh, a Mengele. She ties in Stalin. It's... It it raises a lot of questions and possibilities. For example, I remember speaking to a number of people from uh, from the Roswell side of the UFO community who say that yes, when the the pieces were collected, there was writing that wasn't English. And when you look at some of the Russian alphabet, they certainly don't look English. So we're going to be talking to Paul uh, Kimball this hour who is joining me now from Nova Scotia. And Paul, first of all, welcome back to the X-Zone. Always great having you with us. Hi, Rob. Always good to be in the X-Zone. And from the east coast of Canada, I can report that there are no riots in so, the streets of Halifax. So there's no hockey games going on, right? No, there's there's absolutely nothing at all. There might be uh, a couple of bar fights later tonight, but uh-huh. there won't be any riots here in Halifax. Oh, okay. Um, t- t- tell, tell me, Paul, what was your what was your feelings as, as a Canadian, watching those riots that happened the other day after the Boston Bruins won Game 7 of the Stanley Cup playoff in Vancouver. I had a number of feelings. First of all, uh, perhaps the most important one was, what the heck are they doing playing hockey in the middle of June? Yeah, so exactly. this is a problem the NHL has to address. It's much harder to riot if it's still cold out. People mm-hmm. just want to go home. Sure. So the second thing is, you know, embarrassment. Um, I think anybody, uh, if you were Americans and they were rioting in Detroit or wherever, the people in that country or in that city would feel embarrassed. But, you know, it's not, you and I were talking a bit about this before we came on uh, and joking about it, but it's obviously not reflective of the people of Vancouver or Canada or any more than the riots in, in Los Angeles years ago were reflective of all people that lived in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was a, a small group of hoodlums that wanted to stir up trouble, and then an awful lot of people who had been drinking far too much, and maybe the NHL and these arenas need to look into the sale of liquor at sporting events. Go to Yankee Stadium, you'll see you'll see the same kind of thing that says, maybe we shouldn't be selling beer here. Um, shouldn't we be here to watch a baseball game or a hockey game? But at the, at the end of the day, you look at it and you just go, you know what, there's something seriously wrong with uh, segments of our society when this kind of thing happens. I mean, it's just, it's craziness. If you want to protest, mm-hmm. protest something like poverty or something. Exactly. A hockey game? Wow. These were just some some people were just unhappy and others were just looking for an excuse to cause trouble. You and I have to take our first commercial break, my friend. Let our listeners know what your website is. The place to find all things Paul Kimball and uh, would be www.redstarfilmtv.com. Redstarfilmtv.com. Paul Kimball is my guest this hour. I, too, was just appalled at uh, the way the fans in Vancouver acted, and it certainly 
certainly isn't the way that all Canadians reacted. I was a Boston fan. I still am. Go Boston. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Second period. Where players dash with skates of flash, the home team trails behind, but they grab the puck and go bursting up. Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. Uh, Paul Kimball's my special guest, and uh, Paul and I are proud Canadians. And, um, you know, as the mayor of Vancouver said, Paul, there, there may have only been a couple of million dollars worth of damage. However, there were billions and billions of dollars of bad publicity. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And this isn't the first time it happened in Vancouver. It happened in yeah. 1994, the last time they lost, too. So, you know, maybe the folks in Vancouver need to take a look at, at how they run these kinds of events. Because it doesn't happen in Halifax. Although we've never been the Stanley Cup Finals, so. Well, not yet, anyway. No, but we're hoping 2074. That's our target date to be at the Stanley Cup wow. Finals. Wow. You know, you and yeah. I have to get good seats for that game and uh, have a good time. Yeah, I think tickets are still going cheap for that, so. <laughs> Paul, as always, great having you with us. Uh, I, I was uh, I talked to you a bit off air about Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base. And, and I've had a number of people on the show from the Roswell side since Annie came out with her book. And uh, the amount of media coverage that she's been receiving is just phenomenal. Those on the Roswell camp say it's lies. It's got nothing to do with reality. She is a fraud. She is a charlatan, and she should not be an investigative reporter. And I, I, ac I actually agree with some of those yeah. things, which puts me in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with the people who think that alien spacecraft crashed, crashed at Roswell or out in the desert near Roswell, to be more precise. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy, to use an old phrase, is sometimes my friend. Or, a, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. And in this mm -hmm. case, the Roswell proponents are the broken clock, and they are right. Annie Jacobson, whatever else. And, you know, it's only on the X Zone, and it's only for you, Rob, that I would, because I, I swore never to write or talk about Roswell again for a whole host of reasons. But I'll make an exception uh, for the X-Zone and for Annie Jacobson's book, because it's not really about Roswell. At the end of the day, what we can take out of all of this is a couple of things. One, it's to call it bad history. I mean, I have, a, I have an undergraduate and graduate degree in, in history. It just mm -hmm. offends me as history. I studied my area of expertise was the, the Second World War, uh, in particular the Nazis, the Nuremberg trials, the aftermath of the war. So when you start hearing things like Joseph Stalin hooked up with Joseph Mengele to take young children, genetically, surgically alter them, and then fly them over the United States and crash them near Roswell. You know, the mind spins. That's, it does, that's yeah. not bad history. That's, I don't know what's worse than bad history. It's not even history. It's, it's not even alternative history. Mm -hmm. You could run that into a publishing house for fiction and say, look, I've written this alternative history of the, of the earth. A lot of, you know, Harry Turtledove writes a lot of books like these. And it posits an alternate timeline for the planet Earth. Oh, okay, that's cool. What happened? 
Well, and then she could run this scenario and they would laugh her out of her office. So this isn't even bad fiction, much less bad history. There's there's absolutely and, – and we're only talking here about the part at the end of the book that references the Roswell case. The rest of her book, which by, is by far the majority of the book, mm-hmm. has gotten virtually no publicity. What everybody wants to talk to her about is this idea of the Soviets and Roswell and Mengele. So that should tell you something too right there. This is a book that by and large would have been ignored, um, would have had a niche audience, might have had a few sales, but we wouldn't be talking about it. She wouldn't have been on The Daily Show or National Public Radio or or ABC News Nightline, although she she probably wishes she'd skipped that one. Yeah, I guess so. Um, talking about this book. But when you put Roswell in and you add in something like, oh, well, there were Nazis, Joseph Mengele, a particularly egregious Nazi, and Stalin was involved in all of this, and you throw that all in at the end of the book, well, if you were conspiratorially minded, you might mm-hmm. think that before the book was published, she sat down or somebody sat down with her and said, oh, look, you know, this is kind of dry stuff. Do you got anything better? Well, there was this story that some guy told me about Roswell and Mengele and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, put that in and then we can really ramp up the sales of the book. Now, I don't know if that's what she did or not, but that is the only logical explanation that I can come up with for why you would put such a cockamamie idea into this book, why a publisher would allow it to be published, because it's just absolutely ludicrous. And I'm not talking now about a UFO. I'm not talking as a UFO researcher or somebody who's researched Roswell. That's irrelevant. I'm talking about somebody who knows something about American history, Soviet history, German history. This is just a non-starter from the get-go. And so that she would put it in this book and that somebody would publish it and that some people might even take it seriously says a lot more about her and her publisher and the news media in general, but also us, than it does anything about the Roswell case or UFOs or anything like that. So as far as they've gone, for, judging by the synopsis that you just gave me, what the uh, the pro-crashed flying saucer crowd, uh, re Roswell, have been saying about this part of the book, they're absolutely correct, which doesn't make them correct about their own ideas, but... They are correct in this instance that what Jacobson has written here, based on one anonymous source who was who's now sort of been revealed in his late 80s, who has already distanced himself anyway from what she's saying. And he, you know, when you watch the ABC News Nightline interviewer or interview with her, the uh, the interviewer whose name escapes me was saying, "Look, I talked to this guy. Mm-hmm. He seemed confused. Uh, he he said he was just doing it to help Annie. You know, basically, he's an old man." And there are a raft of problems anytime you want to sit down and interview a guy who's 85 or 86 or 87 years old. And so, yeah, you know, there's there's nothing here but smoke and mirrors. Is it and, is it possible, though, Paul? Is it possible? You know, the old saying where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that what really crashed in Roswell had nothing to do with extraterrestrials, men from Mars or or anywhere else, that it was, in fact, an experimental craft from this very planet? Sure, it's possible. I have always, well, I shouldn't say always. I mean, when I was 12, I didn't really think about it. But as long as I've actually, <laughs> you know, turned my attention to the Roswell right. case, I've accepted the Air Force's explanation that it was Project Mogul. Mm-hmm. And Project Mogul, you know, uh, balloons that were carrying aloft, a, at the time, a very top secret project 
that was designed to measure Soviet. So there you, you have an actual Soviet yes. angle designed to measure Soviet nuclear tests that was misidentified by the people who initially showed up on the scene, including Jesse Marcel. I accept that explanation because there hasn't been a better one offered. And it makes sense to me, too. Speaking about so, Jesse Marcel, I had Kevin Randall on uh, last week. And and I asked Kevin, I said, listen, you're, you're a lieutenant colonel uh, retired from the armed forces. You're, you're the real McCoy. Is it normal for an intelligence officer to go to a point of investigation and then take evidence, bring it home to his kid and his wife, let them see what is what they're working on, and then take it back to the uh, to his office? Yeah, you've hit. What did Kevin say? Because I didn't. Well, and Kevin's Kev- a good friend of mine. He's a good researcher. He but, is, and he said, "Well, basically, at that time, it wasn't it wasn't classified a secret. So why wouldn't he?" Well, because you know, if something doesn't make sense, you, you don't bring your work home when you're in the intelligence business, I don't think. You know, that's just like somebody in the FBI is saying, listen, I, this guy's a spy. You know, we picked him up. I just wanted you to meet a real spy before I book him. Yeah, it's it's very odd. That is a, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked, Kevin, that. It's something that is almost never talked about when people talk about Roswell. Mm. Because Marcel has been criticized over the years, and yeah. rightly so, I think for exaggerating elements of his past. So he would claim certain things about his record in the military or his educational studies that were not true. Now, the Roswell people, and by Roswell people, if I use that term again, what I'm basically meaning is the pro-UFO crash-flying saucer group, have always explained away by saying, look, Marcel was a good officer. He rose to a somewhat senior rank. I think he retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, possibly a full colonel, I'm not sure. And he went on to bigger and better things, too. He continued his career and and had good assignments after Roswell. So yes, maybe he gilded the lily a little Mm -hmm. bit here or there, but who doesn't? And he was still a good guy, and everything he was telling was clearly the truth, and he was definitely a top-notch intelligence officer. That's what they say. To which I would say what you just said, which is if you're a top-notch intelligence officer and you find something... You don't know what it is. Let's assume you don't know. It's you, You're not sure it's an alien spacecraft, or maybe you think it is some mm-hmm. sort of, hey, maybe the Army's running some secret experiment. Maybe I should you know, check this out first. Right. You don't take it home and show your family, for Pete's sake. What um, would have happened if there had been some degree of radioactivity on that piece of, of, of or those pieces that he brought home, and his himself and the, the rest of the family were to come down with radiation poisoning. You know, he didn't think. And the very fact that his his past isn't what it was supposed to be, why do they give this guy so much credibility? Well, because he's telling a story that they wanted to hear back in the 1970s. But apparently it's, they still want to hear it because, they, you know, he's, he's next to God when it comes to Roswell. Well, it's, it was a story they wanted to hear in the 1970s. Now it's gone beyond just a story that they wanted to hear. It has become something of a holy grail within that group of people who want to believe, A, that some UFOs are extraterrestrial spacecraft, B, that at least one or two of them have crashed on planet Earth, and C, that the government knows about it, has recovered it, and is covering up. Now, you can believe A without believing B and C. You can believe A and maybe even B without believing C, but it's hard. But if you believe that they've crashed, the government cover up, all of that stuff, which is why Jacobson's book is the sort of polar opposite of what these people believe, but it's in the same ballpark because she's talking about massive government cover-ups and 
she's just talking about Nazis and Mengele and Stalin and the Soviets as opposed to aliens. But the, the principle is the same. An outrageously far-fetched story that when you strip it away, and it take, it's much easier to strip the, the bad stuff away from Jacobson's story because it's all bad stuff. A little harder with Roswell. But when you strip it down to its base components, there's nothing to that narrative. There's absolutely no evidence that you can point to and say, well, this is clearly true, or this is even possibly true. And that's the mistake that people have made looking into Roswell for the last 30 years. And it has ruined the serious study of the UFO phenomenon within ufology. Stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Paul Kimball's our very special guest. Always great having Paul with us. www.redstarfilmtv.com My name's Rob McConnell. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And like Paul in Halifax, we've got a hockey team here in Hamilton, and when they win, we don't have riots. And we sell and drink a lot of beer here. I'll be back. Don't go away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com Welcome back, everyone. Paul Kimball's my special guest, RedStarFilmTV.com. And, uh, Paul, you and I are talking about Annie Jacobson and her book, Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. And uh, when it comes to the, the, the majority of the book, as you pointed out, Paul, it's not about Roswell. It's about Area 51. And I, I think what Annie Jacobson really did in, in her book was just put together everything that everybody knew, put it between two uh, two covers, and away you go. Because the information that she has in there wasn't groundbreaking. It wasn't earth-shattering. It's something that everybody has been able to find out on the Internet. Yeah, and I think part of that, Rob, is a symbol of the modern society that we live in, particularly the United States, which since 9-11 has been, become a country that officially is obsessed with secrecy more and more freedoms are being uh, taken away or at least curtailed mm -hmm. there's a all you have to do is say look i flew through the united states in 2000 and then i flew through a couple weeks ago security measures are different everything about the united states 
is different in many subtle ways and some not so subtle ways. So I think finally people's attention maybe is being focused on the idea that there's and WikiLeaks has certainly helped with yeah. this, I think. When you see the kind of information that's coming out and you realize just how much information the government keeps secret from us. And then the question that you should start to ask is, why? Now, assuming that there is a real need for some secrecy in some areas, is there a need for all of this secrecy? But now everything seems to be secret. So I think people are are naturally, when they live in that kind of society, they're naturally interested when somebody starts to tell them about something that is secret. And Area 51, there's no question, that is a secret place. The problem is that there are good stories about secrets that are well-sourced, that are based on good documentation and good reporting. And then there's Annie Jacobson's story, which is not. So, you know, it, it does boggle the mind how, and this, this is another, this is an indictment of the media, the so-called mainstream media. Annie Jacobson has been on The Daily Show, she's been on National Public Radio, oh, yeah, morning she's, talk shows yep. everywhere, Nightline, everything, talking about primarily Roswell, the mm -hmm. Roswell end of this, not, not so much the Area 51 stuff. Why? If they want to talk about Roswell, which is still a valid topic of conversation, I'll grant that. I have, I, I believe I know what happened. But you know what? If they really want to talk about Roswell or if they really want to talk about the UFO phenomenon or if they really want to talk about government secrecy and how governments have used the UFO phenomenon to cover up certain projects, there are other people that they could be talking to that have real proven, documented, serious stories to tell. And one good example is my good friend Greg Bishop, yeah. who wrote Project Beta, which was a, almost a decade ago. But even within ufology, it was largely overlooked and ignored. Why? But this is a... Well, within ufology, it told a story that they didn't want to hear, oh. which is that the intelligence agencies have, for many years, infiltrated, used UFO researchers for their own purposes to create myths and legends that they would then use to cover up real secret military uh, test flights and experiments. There's no question that that's gone on. And that's really what Project Beta is about. But what they did is they went even further. Uh, AFOSI, the Air Force Office of Special Investigations in New Mexico, a couple of guys in that office, literally drove a guy named Paul Benowitz nuts, which through something called Project Beta, it was this whole thing where they uh, partnered up with a Bill Moore, who was one of the original Roswell researchers. He was Stan Friedman's partner when they first started. Moore is the co-author of the Roswell Incident, which was the first book on Roswell. So much of the Roswell story, much of the Majestic 12 story that came out of it, was created or, or put forward by Bill Moore back when he was working with Stan Friedman. So anyway, Moore was also working with these government agents to feed information about UFO researchers to the government agents and also to feed information from the government agents back into the UFO research community. And the reasons why this might have been happening, people can speculate on. I, there's any one of a number of reasons why it could have been happening. But the, the takeaway is that this is a great story. Just a, it's a great story. Was, somebody should make a movie of it someday. But they drove this Benowitz guy nuts anyway. He, and he, was a, he wasn't some crazy guy. He was a respected engineer and scientist who had contracts with the American military. And what they wanted to do was he had seen things flying over Kirtland Air Force Base. He thought they might be UFOs. And they wanted to distract his, his attention away 
from what were testing of secret military projects. So they created all sorts of stuff, including tales about underground bases. You know, you can go back into the 1980s and read Project Beta. You can start to see where a lot of the modern UFO conspiracy mm -hmm. narrative comes from. It came in many respects from this story. And so if you're a UFO researcher, and I use the term researcher in quotation marks, who is putting forward the conspiracy cover-up narrative, you don't want to talk about that, do you? Because it, it sort of says maybe what you're talking about and trying to sell just isn't accurate. So I get that. What I don't get is why the mainstream media wouldn't want to talk about it. But it's a complicated story. There's a lot of moving parts. And you know what? It's not fun and sexy. And it doesn't have Nazis and Soviets and 13-year-old kids being genetically altered and scary stuff like that. And Greg Bishop was not with the Los Angeles Times, which I believe is where Annie Jacobson's background is. Greg Bishop was, you know, a, an independent writer in Los Angeles that nobody had really ever heard of. So, and the book was published by a small publishing house. So yeah, of course, the story is largely ignored, even within ufology. Now Annie Jacobson mm -hmm. comes along with a completely ludicrous story based on only one source, a very old man who may or may not be telling the truth. He may or may not have all his faculties. Who knows? She has no other support for it. Mm -hmm. And she publishes it in a book published by a major publishing house. And all of a sudden, she's on all the talk shows. She's on mainstream television. She's on CNN. She's everywhere. We all have to step back and ask ourselves, what kind of society are we living in? What kind of media do we have when those two things happen? When a good story, well-told, well-sourced, well-documented with a, with a message that we should be listening to because it has implications for the real world and for us, that would be Greg Bishop's story, Project Beta, is ignored. And Annie Jacobson is all over the media. It's a bizarro world. Yeah, but it's Paul... Like you, but Paul, in all in all fairness, you know when uh, these uh, these guys came out, when was it a couple of months ago that that were in the missile silos, and uh, you know they said the UFOs were knocking out missiles left, right, and center. You know the the media gobbled that up too. And once again, there was no proof that there were any UFOs out there. And this is not the first time that story was was publicly. Uh, talked about, you know, they had the press conference in Washington and the media went and they got tons of uh, tons of media coverage. Right. You're talking about the um, the Bob Salas yeah. Malmster missile base case, yeah. which is one of a number of uh, missile related UFO cases, um, some of which are more uh, documented and better sourced than Malmstrom. And Mal the interesting thing about Malmstrom, yes, it did get some play, nowhere near the kind of play that Jacobson's book is getting. Um, but it's still a it's still an interesting case, the Malmstrom case. I know that there's been a lot of backlash on certain internet forums, uh, and with one particular writer, a guy named James Carlson, who has, you know, taken it taken it as a jihad almost to to attack Salas and Hastings. And Hastings is an easy guy to attack because he can be very confrontational. I've interviewed. I've met Bob Salas. I like the man. If you look at the Malmstrom missile base case in particular, and for folks who aren't familiar with it, it, it happened in 1967. It's in my film, Best Evidence, yeah. top 10 UFO cases. It's never been one of my favorite cases because I don't see the evidentiary chain there that would certainly put it in my top 10. However, it, I wasn't picking the top 10 UFO researchers were. There's still enough in the case to make me believe that something happened 
Now, whether it was a, a UFO is a totally different question. But there is no question that at least on one occasion, the missiles at Malmstrom did go down. I mean, it's officially documented. You can read the, the military reports. You can't read the military reports for Salas's account because they, they either don't exist or they haven't been brought forward for his account. But there was another one that happened, I believe it was a week earlier. There's no question that that happened and there's no question that the missiles went down and that it was reported and investigated and there's a, there's a, it's a very long story about that one. Now, whether UFOs were involved or not, that's where the argument comes in. Um, yeah. But that's again, that's not the kind of story that the media likes. I'm surprised they actually went with it, except for the fact the press conference and the and Hastings and they they distilled it down and, and made it more simple than it actually is. Maybe it was a bad, a slow news day. Well, sure. And by the yeah. way, it's also not the kind of story that UFO researchers and lecturers generally like, because like the mainstream media, they like to keep it simple too. Neither one of those two groups like to confuse people with the facts. And the problem with that is, you know, the facts are usually far more complex than either the mainstream media presents or UFO researchers who believe in the extraterrestrial hypothesis present. And so they like to pick and choose the things that are going to excite people and interest them and, and potentially sell what they're selling. But then what they don't tell you is, well, you know what, we can't say for sure. And this is more complex than we let on. And there's a discussion to be had here, but it's mm -hmm. got to be a discussion. It can't just be us telling you and you accepting. Nope. Both sides prefer the us telling you and you accepting sort of way of doing things. By the way, and this then, is... This then is there's from, us in the middle that just like to get at the truth. That's it. This is from our research department on Annie Jacobson. Uh, she is a contributing editor at the Los Angeles Times Magazine and an investigative reporter whose work has also appeared in the National Review and the Dallas Morning News. Her two-part series, The Road to Area 51 in the Los Angeles Times Magazine, was widely read. She's a graduate of Princeton University and lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two sons. Good for her. Sounds like a good resume. Yeah. But if you look closer, more closely at Jacobson, you'll also see that there was an incident in 2004 where she was on a commercial airliner and she claimed that some Syrian men who were on the airliner were on a dry run to hijack the plane. And there was a, a big, you know, these guys were taken aside by security. It's on, you can check it on the internet, various reports. Turns out they were musicians traveling to a gig near San Diego. So, you know, her critical acumen in mm -hmm. the past has been found lacking. And that could have had some pretty serious consequences for those guys, too. So, you know what? Just because somebody's a reporter for the Los Angeles Times or the LA Times Magazine, there is, it doesn't mean that they are right. doesn't mean that even they know what they're doing. doesn't even mean that they're telling the truth. There was that famous case not too long ago, the writer with the New York Times, which, by the way, gave Jacobson's book a pretty good review. So perhaps one hand sort of scratches the back of the other. And he was found to be flat out lying. He was making up stories and witnesses that didn't exist. And uh, the New York Times missed it, completely hmm. missed it. And it was only after the fact that they came back and said, well, it turns out that all this stuff we printed and this guy, yeah, sorry, folks. But Unbelievable. And then there's Oprah. Even Oprah made the mistake of putting the guy on who wrote the book, whose name escapes me, but I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. And it turns out he was not telling the truth either. So people make mistakes. Maybe Jacobson just made a mistake. But if she made a mistake, it's a mistake based on ignorance and on a lack of journalistic integrity, frankly, because integrity requires you to go out 
and actually check your sources and to make sure that you can back up and document what you've printed before you actually run it. That's how they used to do it in the good old days. But now it seems like those standards are perhaps not applied as as uh, as vehemently as they should be. Tell me, Paul, um, when it comes to the Betty and Barney Hill case, what are what's your what's your opinion of that? What's your take of that case? My dad always told me when I was a young man, he said, son, if you don't know the answer to something, be never be afraid to say that you don't know the answer. So the Betty and Barney Hill case is a case where I say I don't know the answer. I do think that unless you're willing to say that the Hills were flat out liars, mm -hmm. I do think something happened to them that night. Were they taken into an alien spacecraft and shown a star map to Zeta Reticuli and all that other stuff? I don't think so. But I don't rule out the possibility that they had some encounter in some way with an advanced non-human intelligence that left some sort of imprint on them. And then that doesn't, things that I've been exploring recently, I'm not sure that these encounters, when they take place, if they take place, and I think they might happen in what we would consider to be the physical realm. I think they can happen within your consciousness. They can happen, I mean, if you are dealing with that kind of advanced non-human intelligence, who knows what capabilities it has and how it interacts with us. So in the Hills case, I do think that something might have happened to them. I leave that possibility open. Do I think that what happened to them is the traditional narrative of abduction that is presented by Stan Friedman and so many others since since the 1960s? No, I, I don't accept that. But I do think they might have had a very, very weird experience and then perhaps even tried to rationalize it mm -hmm. in terms that they could understand. And um, because I don't think the Hills, nothing in their record, nothing in their personal histories suggests that they were hoaxers or liars. All right, stand so, by, Paul. You and I have to take our final break. ExoNation, Paul Kimball's our special guest. RedStarFilmTV.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Our guest, www.redstarfilmtv.com. Uh, Paul, you and I were talking a couple of uh, weeks ago about Beyond Best Evidence. How's it going? Well, we were doing a, an Indiegogo fundraising yeah. campaign for it that is, by the time this show airs tonight, it will have ended. And we fell well short of our goal. I'm thankful to all those people who contributed. I'm thankful to folks like you who helped publicize it. We're still going to make the film because it wasn't the only source of funding mm -hmm. that we were looking for. But it is a little disappointing, I have to admit, that you have all these people out there that say they want a better conversation, a more informed and intelligent conversation about the UFO phenomenon that maybe is not solely obsessed with the extraterrestrial hypothesis. 
And so here I was with Tim Benal, and we're saying, look, we're going to give it to you. We'll talk about the ETH. We'll talk about extra dimensional hypothesis. We'll talk about time travel. We'll talk about the possibility it can all be explained. We'll talk about all of it, and then we'll ask what it means to us. We'll delve into you know the philosophical implications for what it means to humanity if we really are dealing with an advanced non-human intelligence of some sort. That's the kind of film that people say they wish the networks would make. The networks perhaps are a little smarter than I am. They've decided that maybe, you know, what people say one thing and then they really want to see mm -hmm. ancient aliens or something. So we didn't get a, a great response. Again, thanks to the folks who did. We're still going to go ahead and make it. We're still going to talk about those kinds of things. And those are the kinds of things, frankly, that interest me more now than talking about Roswell or government cover-ups and all that sort of stuff, which I, I find silly. And again, I, I would only do it for the Exxon Nation that I would come on and talk about Roswell and Andy Jacobson. But, you know, there, there's a whole strand within human history, within human thought, that talks about contact with a non-human intelligence, whether you call it God or whether you call mm -hmm. it aliens from Zeta Reticuli, whatever manifestation it takes, that's what I'm more interested in looking at now. So it's just as likely that I would talk about a UFO case on one hand, and then five minutes later I might start talking about Paul Tillich, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, and his concept of the eternal now, which is basically time travel placed within a religious framework. And so those are the kinds of things, I've just done a grave disservice to Paul Tillich, but you know that, <laughs> sorry, um, but that, that, isn't, that is in essence what yeah. it is. And you know what, I think ufology, whatever that is, would be far better off if they would become aware of some of the writings of people like Tillich and others in other disciplines and take a more holistic approach to studying the UFO phenomenon well, as part of a greater whole. You know what, Paul, I, I agree with you. However, I'm probably going to put my foot in my mouth with this uh, next statement. I don't think that the majority of people who are in u ufology can actually comprehend that type of scenario. I agree with you. Um, uh, you get no disagreement with me, which is why or from me, which is why I'm not making the film for ufology. Yeah. If, they're, if they want to watch it, that's great. I'm making the film for everyone. I hope I have a lot of relatives who are, are evangelical. Uh, I'm not, but they are. And I'm hoping they'll be able to find something in it where they might say, look, we don't think it's space aliens, but you're talking in general about an advanced non-human intelligence. Paul, we're well, run so out, are we. Paul, we've run out of time for tonight, but you, you've got to come back and we have to pick up this conversation well, you know, because I believe that the angels of yesteryear were the ETs of today. Could be. All right, you and I will talk. Take care of yourself, my good friend. Regards to everybody in Halifax from us. Thanks, Rob. Exo Nation, Paul Kimball has been my guest this hour. RedStarFilmTV.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where there's never been a hockey riot. Well, as of yet, anyway. Don't go away. Don't go away.